0: Welcome to the Westside Gathering podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: But we're going to jump into this morning's message. We're starting a a new short three-week series in Advent, and uh, I'll, I'll get that to a moment. But I got an email today from a store that I like I you know like if you're connect, like get an email subscription from stores when they're sales and so the email this morning said last day for Cyber Monday week <laughs> and I'm like how long is this, like, Cyber Monday didn't even exist like four years ago, and now it's like, not only like, get ready for like seven days of Black Friday, but now it's the end of Cyber Monday week, and it's, isn't it crazy, like, just, it's just there, you know, and I, and I get it, like, as we come to, uh, you know, past Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, we, we hear positive messages of, if you didn't need it on Thursday, you won't need it on Friday, right, but if you did need something and you found it on special, I guess that's good. And so people look around, like there's new clothes or gadgets or something. But underneath the purchases, underneath the purchases, I think we're all looking for something new. We're looking for something new. And you open that brand new gadget or iPad or TV or maybe this sweater, and you're like, oh, I can start fresh now. Now this new green sweater, I can like just I can be a brand new Dave, you know. Um, and obviously, it's a false promise because I'm the same person with a new sweater. Uh, and you're the same person with a new iPad, but it reflects, I think, this hunger inside of of us as human beings for redemption, for restoration, for something fresh. I think that's probably uh, at least a percentage of why some people do renovations. They long for transformation, and they say, I'm struggling to transform myself. Maybe I'll just start with my kitchen. Right? And so sometimes that's the case. But I think nestled inside the human heart is this hope, but this hope that we're discovering all the time as a church community in the scriptures and through the message of Jesus, but particularly in the message of Revelation we've been in and out of all year. The hope in the human heart that will only be fulfilled with something God has already promised. The hope in our hearts, regardless of who you are, your background, Uh, We all have a hope in our hearts for something fresh in you. And I believe the hope in the human heart will only be fulfilled with something God has already promised. So today we're, we're, we're right in the middle of or the beginning of Advent, which started last week. And Advent means coming, anticipation. And so this series, these three weeks, is called Anticipated Hope. And it's really like our final mini-series in the book of Revelation. And as I've said so many times, we've been walking through this letter this year, in and out uh, throughout the year, that we could talk for like a hundred weeks uh, on this letter. And we can dig so deep, but we're trying to just get a really good overview so that when we read it on our own, we have a good framework and a good lens, uh, but today we're starting a short series called Anticipated Hope in the last two chapters, chapters 21 and 22. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 21 or follow along on the screen, and we're going to read the first eight verses of chapter 21. And if you have been with us for these series, is, apostrophe, uh, if you've been with us reading uh, on your own as well, you'll notice that the, that the tone, that the posture, that the, you know, just the, the, the energy in these last two chapters are different than 6 to 19, which we were in the last six weeks before this. So here we go. Let's, let's listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes death will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more first things have passed away and the one who was seated on the throne said see i am making all things new and also he said write this write this for these words are trustworthy and true and then he said to me it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and to the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life, and to those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faceless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And we're going to stop here because... We're going to spend a few weeks in these two chapters. So, man, what a... Can you hear the tone is a little bit different in the last eight, I mean, 10 or 12, 13 chapters we've been reading? Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, as we jump into this last couple of books of the collected scriptures of this letter... Uh, of the revelation to this, the the early churches in the first century, God. We just invite the work of your Spirit to to grab a hold of us, to give us a vision and a framework, to hear your heart, to understand your words to us, God, and and even how this just fits in the whole of your story, in the whole of your Scripture, and even in this letter we've been uh, living in and out of this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I tell like, new people that are here for the first time, like, hey, we don't always talk about Revelation. And this, this year, we've done like half, half the 50 weeks in it. So it's been kind of unique that way. But we've been in this journey, right, through this whole letter. And the last two chapters really give us a purpose for the letter that help us understand it. If you were here earlier, we've said that the first five chapters and the last two chapters are really important bookends to the whole letter, and they really give the heart of it. And we saw in chapter 6 to 20 this raw, realistic vision of chaos and tension and, and trouble and conflict. And I'm sure that sometimes as we're in the middle of the letter, we can be thinking, is that it? Like, what, like what, what happens beyond this? You know?" Because we see the tensions in our world, the struggles in our world in those chapters. But there's hints along the way, even in those chapters, that something was coming that something new was on the horizon, that God was promising something, that God was going to fulfill something. And right in the middle of these first these eight verses, we hear God literally say these words. Verse 6, it is, what does he say? Done. It is done. And it echoes Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. And here we hear these words echoed again, but now in a more of a final state, it is done. So this shift... From what we've been seeing in the previous chapters to what we're going to see in these last two chapters, a shift has been taking place. There's been this completion that's making way for something new, for for something that will bring fulfillment to the hope in the human heart. This one writer, uh, Craig Coaster, he describes these last couple of chapters this way. He says, The final chapters bring revelations cycles to a climax with a vision that unfolds in brilliant color and cascades of harmonious sound. The dissonant echoes of conflict and judgment give way to majestic choruses of hope. I love that. So we're ready... As we enter this these last two chapters, we're ready for a new beginning. We're ready for the fulfillment of hope, and and I mean, it, you know what? There's so many stories uh, written throughout history, so many movies that have been um, you know directed that you can you can feel the hunger for that. You know, every trilogy or maybe six movies like Star Wars or this or this or that. There's always part of the story is like when's the hope coming? When's the new beginning coming? Oh, I see this end, but where's the new beginning? Where's, where's the next? And there's that hunger there. And, and here in these few verses, just in this part, we see the word new written four times. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And then that final one where we hear God's voice, I am making all things new. And the heart of that is this renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. One writer, his name is Joe Mangini, he says that this is the great divine action of recreation. Of recreation. The God who created now recreates. The God who created now recreates, in a sense. And, and you know, uh, there's often talk about the end of the age or this transition that, that God will bring about in in like kind of images that oh everything is going to blow up and this is all the whole earth is going to dissolve into nothing and we've already looked at you know how the images in revelation are metaphors for the finality of evil and injustice sometimes also the images would make us think that god is preparing us uh, you know, a place for us or making us leave somewhere, go somewhere, some mansion in the sky or some different planet or some heavenly location. And what's interesting about the word new is that it really reflects a restoration, a, a, a redemption, a renewal that, that is not new to the Bible. Like if you read the whole scripture, there's always these themes of restoration and redemption and renewal. These have been biblical words throughout the scriptural story, and they always refer to God working with what is and then redeeming it and restoring it. Because as the world and humanity veered off course, this sense of, of brokenness, which, you know what, even if you're not a Christian and you're here, you're watching, you, you, you sense that. We know that often there's a brokenness in our relationship with, with God, with other people, with even the earth and the world around us. That's from early, early chapters of Genesis. We know there's a brokenness there, and this renovation project that God then engages in, that is the whole biblical story, is all about restoration. Sometimes we think, oh, God's going to throw everything out. and. Uh, if you've ever been in a rental project, I'm in, a, in, a, in one right now, and, and um, we had moved a couple of things, and this contractor working in our house had this pile of stuff that was going to be thrown out. So before they throw it out, I'm kind of looking for it, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't throw this out. This is, this is all right. What are you doing? Because contractors, what do they care, right? They're just like, get, get this pile, get it out. I want to keep working. But I'm like, no, this is for my closet, and I think I still need it, right? Or this is for something else. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So in my mind, I'm like... This piece can be restored. I get it, some stuff needs to go. There's a finality to it. But this piece can be restored. And in fact, the word new in Revelation, even in the original, has more of a sense of renovation than starting from scratch. It's more of a sense of being renovated, restored, than starting from scratch. It's more about transformation than annihilation. Sure, some things are destroyed, there's a finality to them but not all things. And how do we know that? Well, the things that are destroyed in chapters 19 to 20, we read a couple of weeks ago, they're no longer in the last two chapters. We don't read about Satan, the beast, the false prophet, death, Hades, the systems of the world that have been co-opted by this influence, uh, people who have just you know completely, completely resisted uh, God and God's kingdom. There's an absence of those in these chapters that we're reading. They're no longer here. Another thing that helps me understand this is in verse 1 and 4, it says that the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, but they're not destroyed. Or these things have passed away. In other words, the way they function will no longer function in this way. And it's interesting that John uses the word passed away rather than the word destroyed like he does in chapters 19 and 20. And so there's this sense here that passed away does not mean destruction. Heaven and earth are not destroyed, but when you look at heaven and earth as the systems, if there's been corrupted systems in our world or the way things are being done, those will be gone. Those are passed away. Any hint of what brought damage to creation or humanity is gone. It's passed away, but not the actual creation. And why do we know that? We know that, one, because God created the world. But even in Romans 8, and I just, I just want to read this. I'm not going to expand on it. I just want you to hear these words from Paul that already saw this, already sensed this in God's heart. It's, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And listen to this. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God in other words this revealing of when God's people will come into a resurrected state for the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will but of the will of the one who subjected it subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be what set free not destroyed and started from scratch, set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That's a hint. That redemption is not destruction, it's restoration. Even Jesus' resurrection is a glimpse, right? After his resurrection, he's hanging around with his disciples, making fish on the sea, chatting with them. But this is his resurrected body. Same face, same body, same Jesus, but a resurrected Jesus. And the scriptures say we will one day be like him when we see him. So we too will have a resurrected uh, body, So his resurrected body was transformed, not destroyed. You too in Christ will be resurrected. Joe Mangini says it this way. He says, God does not do violence to the created world in order to be with his people. Thomas Aquinas said, grace does not destroy nature. It perfects it. And that's why here we see something that is no longer in in the images in Revelation. It says, in the new creation, there's no more sea. And way back in the first couple of chapters, we recognized that the image of the sea was all like God was, it was under God's authority, his sovereignty, but it was always at bay because the sea reflected the, 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 the sin and the evil in the world. But here we read, there's no more sea. Anything dark, sinful, corrupt, and just is no longer in sight. It is done, and it's passed away. And this makes room for God's new creation, for God's transformation project, for something new that only God can accomplish. It's literally like the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate home makeover contractor. (laughs) Ultimate. And so these two words, I think, that are going to be helpful for us as we think about these last two chapters, but particularly these few verses. The first word is newness. There's a newness to what we read here. And the first new is a new heaven and a new earth. Now, we can, we can try to articulate that and make it so particular as like, well, where is heaven, where is earth, and all this. But in a, in, a, in a nutshell, that phrase means everything that you and I can possibly imagine, everything encompassed in what heaven and earth represent, will be transformed for a new beginning into eternity that everything will be working in a way that is no longer affected by sin, by Satan's corruption, by the beast, by the false prophet, by death. And the key to this transformation, to this newness, and we're going to get to like a better thought about that next week, but it's this, it's new, the new Jerusalem. We read that and we're like, oh, this new Jerusalem is coming down, and the image here, if you take it literally is like a physical city it's like i'm standing and i'm all of a sudden seeing this city come from the sky planted down on this transformed earth and it does reflect in some ways we'll get to it next week location culture society that will be evident in god's new creation but metaphorically it all it represents heaven itself because jerusalem reflects god's heart god's posture god's will god's kingdom. God's vision, God's values, God's people. So it's as if, as as this new Jerusalem is seen coming down, it's the kingdom of heaven literally permeating everywhere and now is the only influence in new creation. When you read in in your Bibles, in the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, God and heaven are interchangeable words there. God's kingdom... Heaven's kingdom, which really means God's rule, God's vision, God's purposes. And when you and I pray, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying, in a sense, for the vision and values of the new Jerusalem to be present, even in glimpses in our world. We don't see the fullness of it today. Only God can do that, but we pray for it. So it's like, what is God's will? What's God's vision? What's God's purposes? And that's reflected in this new Jerusalem. When you think of Christmas, we're going to be celebrating Christmas in a few weeks. And um, at Christmas, or what Christmas represents, is God's kingdom breaking into our world. God sent his son into our world. God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, broke into our world. So his life and his power all reflected in God's world. New creation is just the fulfillment of that. New creation is the fulfillment of what God started in the incarnation. And when we think of the new Jerusalem coming down, we'll go back to chapter 11, verse 15. If you remember, you you won't remember it by, by chapter and verse. I don't even remember chapter and verses, but this is what it says. I'll just tell you what it says. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. So over the last few years... You will, If you've been around, you've heard me always seed the idea of what's heaven and earth, that it's not earth and heaven, but it's earth and heaven, our space, God's space. And we pray that what happens in God's space or God's will would, would, would influence us here, right? And when Jesus rose from the dead, he went from our space to God's space. And when we pray that God's heaven and God's kingdom would rule and reign, it's his space breaking into our space. So I, I put like a couple of circles on the screen and don't mind uh, the placement of the words. They got messed up in the, trans, in the transfer year. So uh, heaven's supposed to be on the left, earth is on the right. So I want you to imagine heaven and earth kind of like, kind of existing at the same time. And, uh, and when, you, when you think about that for a moment, that, that's really important because heaven and earth give you a sense of... Um, you know, this, this idea that, that our space and God's space exists. When Jesus came to earth, when Jesus was born, and then the later result of the Holy Spirit being poured out, heaven overlapped earth a little bit. God's kingdom broke into our world. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The Holy Spirit was filling and working through people. So we saw Part, glimpses of heaven, glimpses of God's kingdom at work, doing stuff, even things like healing and restoration and people's lives being transformed and, and renewed hope. And so while these two you know, realms exist at the same time, at that moment, heaven started to break into earth. But what new creation is, and it's the next slide, it's there's a marriage of heaven and earth. Heaven overtakes earth not overtakes it in a way that it conquers it, but now those two realms exist at the same time, in the same way, and that's why God's rule and reign is unrestricted. It's no longer just breaking in. It's like, boom, heaven and earth exist at the same time together, this marriage of heaven and earth, and that affects everything, and that's why John could hear God's word tell him, listen, I'm making all things new. And the full newness is only possible because heaven and earth are married." And that's why we had read in Romans chapter 8 that idea of, of, what, of what's taking place there. John's vision helps us to see how big and beautiful and powerful new really is. John hears directly. This is the first time in the whole letter of Revelation. John hears words from heaven, hears words from the throne room, hears words from angels, he, Here's what the elders in, in, in the heavenly realm were doing. But in this moment, did you catch it? In this moment, it's amazing and verse 5, and the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He heard God say these words. And if God is the one doing this, even the idea of what new is, is renewed. I, me, you and I, we can't fully... I can talk for another four hours, and I won't. But I will never be able to touch the surface of what kind of newness is meant in these pages because when, as God is saying, I am making all things new, even the idea of newness is more than we can grasp, is more than we can fathom. God is doing this, and so the, whatever it looks like will be renewed. And here's the way God does it so, first word, newness, here's the second word, get to in a second. God is making all things new by coming near. By coming near. And this is also a little hint of why God is going to do something that transforms and not destroys and starts all over. So we get this sense of nearness. And here's this promise in verse 3. I think it's one of the most beautiful lines in Revelation, maybe even in the whole Bible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. Among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. What a beautiful phrase. The home of God will be among mortals. The home of God will be among mortals. God the Father will make his dwelling place He will come home. He will make his home with us. This is crazy. This is amazing. This is like a family whose mom or dad, maybe for a year or so, has had to work overseas. And the only correspondence those kids are getting are a letter, a FaceTime, a postcard, maybe a one day visit because just been too busy. But then, but then, oh, oh, guess what? Dad is making his home here no longer working from a distance. He's making his home here. He will be at home with us. That's the, what the word dwell means. The word dwelling is this sense of God literally being present with us. And it's, this, it's another sign that eternity isn't another location, but that it's right here. God, not, not when I say that, I'm not saying right here that we're going to make this happen or humans conjure this up, but this idea that God doesn't destroy everything and then start all over, he's going to transform and make his home among us. God's home will be among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be with him. And even that word with is so rich in the scriptures. That's all, like, think about the incarnation. Think about Jesus you know, uh, being born. Think about John chapter 114, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us it's the same word god moved into the neighborhood in a sense a little bit of heaven breaking into earth but now new creation will be the fullness of what that means and it'll no longer be like god's at the entrance of our house or god's popped in for a visit or god's present with us you know through through works of his spirit it's this idea like hey god's like god's moving into the house <laughs> he's going to be fully present and the word dwell is so important there. It's the same word when, when the Old Testament is translated into the Greek, the Septuagint, it's the same word for taber, tabernacle in the Old Testament. So the Jews had the tabernacle, they believed that God was present in that tabernacle. And that then in the temple, that's where God, you know, dwelt. And he would, God would be with his people through the tabernacle. The presence was known through these things. But listen to the just two echoes of a promise in some of the prophets. There's more. Ezekiel 37 says, God says, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Zechariah chapter 2 says, God says, For I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the people with the Lord on that day. Now, many nations even here the word it wasn't it wasn't amazing. I don't know if you caught this. It didn't say that he will dwell with them. He will dwell with, you know, just a few people. They will be his people. No, they will be his peoples. They will be his peoples. And here, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. So there's two words. There's like, I, I never do Greek on a Sunday, and I'm not a Greek person anyways, but I mean a Greek language person. I love Greek people, but okay. I'll just shut up right now. We'll just continue. So, so, so the, word, the word in the Greek Old Testament for tabernacle is skene, and then, but there's another word, skenose. So skene is tabernacle, but skenose is tabernacle with. That's a big difference because tabernacle is an object where in a Jewish understanding, that's where God dwelt. But skenose is tabernacle with. So it's not God's going to dwell here while we're over here, that we can only find God here. No, God is tabernacling with us. He is present with us. He dwells with us. And this is, this is like the culmination of the whole story in the Scriptures. God will tabernacle with his creation this is nearness at its utmost you know, beauty. And I wrote this on the screen so we can get this. The God of the new is coming near. And God coming near makes everything new. So the God of the new, the God, of, the God who's going to make everything new, he, he's coming near. When God comes near, he makes everything new. There's like two, two things going on. What's most new about new creation is that God's presence will be existent without restriction. Without restriction. God's presence will be unrestricted, ever-present, permeating every inch of our world, every inch of our cosmos. Isn't that amazing? Every inch of our world. I love that. But here's the beautiful thing for you and me as we think about this new beginning, Here's how personal it is. Did you catch verse 4 in in what was heard from the throne? Verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. This was already promised in chapter 7. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. In other words, the things that that allowed for or influenced or created death and mourning and crying and pain, they will have passed away. But I love that first line, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. If you could just imagine a little boy or a little girl with tears coming down their cheeks and their father comes close to them And their father just kind of kneels down beside them. And and then as he kneels down beside them, he sees he literally sees the tear come out of their eye and drip down their cheek. And so in that moment, the father's present, and this child knows that, that he's there, and this child knows that he sees them and that he hears them and that he knows them. And then you could just imagine the father's hand not just seeing the tears, but then coming super close in the most gentlest way Maybe just with the tip of his thumb, he just kind of wipes away that tear. That's how personal that is, that God will wipe every tear away. That's such a beautiful personal phrase. This is how close God will be in new creation. This is the image that John wants us to see of what it means when things are made all new and god comes near and one of the overflows of that is verse six where he says i'm the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end and to the thirsty i will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life there's life and joy and hope and beauty and goodness that will flow from that and verse seven says this is our inheritance those who are in Christ, those who have, who have not rejected Christ, those who have said, Lord, I want you to lead my life. I, I long for the lordship of Jesus. Verse 7 says, those who conquer or those who are faithful will inherit these things, and, they, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I will be their God, and they will be my children. This, that's, this is our anticipated hope. This is our anticipated hope, God's newness, God's nearness, coming together with this marriage of heaven and earth that, will ma- that only God can make happen, that only God can do. And it will be truly, truly a new beginning. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we prepare for communion today and close in a moment. But I just want you to think of something. You know, in this version here, um, you read the word see, you know, see, the, the home of God is among mortals, or see, I am making all things new. There's other versions, like older versions that, you know, have a little bit cooler words that really help us. It's a word like behold, you know, like when you read see, you're like, thank you. But when you read behold, you're like, oh, okay, what do I got to look at, right? And so this word is really like behold or like watch this or check this out because it's going to blow your mind, When you read that word before these two phrases, you must just stop and say, okay, what is all about? What's this all about? Watch this. Check this out. It's going to change everything. And this is important for you and me because the first Christians reading this when John wrote this letter and us today, we need to hear this. That's why we have to stop and say, what do I got to behold? What do I got to watch? What do I need to see here? We need to hear this, and here's why we need to hear this, because you and I live in the tension of a broken world. Like, we passed chapter 20, right? And we're on to 21, but we're not living it yet. We're still living in chapter 6 to 20, but we're looking forward to chapter 21 and 22. We live, you and I live every day in the tension of a broken world in the tension and wrestling of chaos and conflict. And though there's wonderful good things, because God has created this world, there's also the tension, because we've talked about the systems being corrupted. An author, her name is Fleming Rutledge, she talks about this yearly time that we're in right now, as we lead to the end of the year, and it's just now part of our calendar, which as much as we celebrate faith, the world you know, all of us have this holiday time, and Fleming calls it this frenzy time, this frenzy time of year. And I bet you, most of you, like, want to sleep on December 26th, or December 27th, or, you know, January 2nd. And, And what's the music? What do we hear during this time? It's the most, what? Wonderful time, right, of the year. And some of you are like, no, it's not. It's crazy. It's stressful. And why? And Starbucks invites us to things like, feel the Mary. Are you going to feel the Mary? This overly filled milk latte is going to make you... Sorry, I just think their lattes have too much milk. I'm, I shouldn't say this publicly. I, we're going to get in trouble. But, but, it's, but, but, but what are they promising? Oh, just feel the Mary. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet we know, we know as, 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 as we celebrate this hope and as we come to later in the month to celebrate the incarnation in Christmas, we know there's something missing from all of that. We know there is. It is the most wonderful time of the year in a sense because we get to like remind each other and remind the world of the message of the gospel and who Jesus is. But we know that in the day-to-day, even in our own lives, there's disappointment and brokenness and suffering and pain categorized, a life categorized in this present world. We know that those tensions are there. But here's the beautiful part. It's held in this, in this dynamic tension with the promise of the future, with the promise of hope, with the promise of what we read here calling it the glory and new creation that is yet to come. And here's my invitation for you and me. During Advent, we're invited as the church in the middle of this tension to live We're called to live, we're called to be, we're called to be present, we're called to be glimpses of God's kingdom, we're called to alert people to God's kingdom and to God's new creation. We're called to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and work in us and equip us so we can be small pockets of God's kingdom and God's future. And while there's so much around us that reflect the the, the, the co-opted systems of our world that will one day pass away, we have this anticipated hope. You and I have this anticipated hope of new creation, established by a new Jerusalem, made possible because, because of this beautiful, characterized presence of God that comes near. So we can live into this tension. We can be agents that call people to this new beginning. Amen? That's my heart for us and for you. And, and the team will play as we, we take a moment to celebrate communion today. But I just want to pray for you right now as we, uh, as we do that. You guys can go ahead. And maybe you're here today and you are just, um, the tension maybe has overwhelmed you. The tension of the brokenness around you, maybe the brokenness that gets manifested in and through you. And though God's working in you, we're all a work in progress, sometimes you just long for it to be fully, your life to be fully transformed. I just want to invite you right now just to be present with the Lord, to surrender your life to Him and to surrender the life around you to Him too. He wants to work in you, but He also wants to work around you. He wants to work in you, but He also wants to work through you. And in Advent, we're called To hold these two tensions together this tension of the brokenness in our world and the beauty of the coming world and we're called to live in the middle of that we're not called to escape we're not called to run we're not called to hide we're not called to um you know to just hunker down and and wait and do nothing we're called to wait with anticipation with hope but also as god's living in local presence in our world So god i pray for my friends today i pray for us i pray for myself lord may we surrender to the lordship of jesus that we've already said yes to in many ways but we surrender to it in a greater way god as you lead us to be your living and local presence but also to experience your presence in the middle of the tensions in our world as we wait for the fullness of it in new creation and I pray for some today that are just longing for this and have not made a step forward into truly trusting you with their life. I pray that even right now, God, through the prompting of your, your heart, your spirit in them, Lord, would they respond to your invitation to know you and allow you to lead their lives so they might come to know the beauty and grace that you long for them, the redemption and restoration. And God, for each of us that need that in greater measure today, or each of us, God, that are called to reflect this in our world. And I pray, Lord, even this week, even this week, as this, this next month might be a, a month of, um, of uh, frenzy, <laughs> um, yeah, may we truly know your heart and your presence and reflect it in our ways. In the incredible name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. I want to actually just transition to just a brief time of communion. If, if you didn't get a cup or if you're not taking communion with us, that's okay. You can just observe, listen. That's no, no harm in that. Um, you're going to get something out of it. For those who are followers of Christ and committed to His Lordship in their life, I invite you to take these out and um, first just rip the top part off as we're getting ready for this. And, um, you know, there was a line at the end of, in verse 8, right, that talked about a group of people that will not be part of God's creation and that a new creation, and we've already dealt with that much in the previous chapters, but it is a, it is a call, it is a warning um, to be mindful that a rejection of the Lord leads to separation from Him. But it, It's also a reminder for us today to be faithful with the continual distractions around us that sometimes long to call us to that. But one thing I want to be clear, we sometimes read a a verse like that, you know, that eternity is not for this and this and this and this person. And we might say, oh, God's future is reserved for sinless people. (laughs) Oh, God's future is reserved for perfect people. Oh, I'm like a perfect person, so I... You know, And that's not the case at all. God's future is for those who have embraced Him and, res- and responded to Him and been cleaned by the blood of Christ. That's why even as we celebrate communion right now, we also are thinking about new creation. And um, when Jesus on the cross said it is finished, He made it possible for anybody and everybody that we lock eyes with to find restoration in Him but even into eternity, we're reminded of God's grace. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.